Hustle culture is cute in theory, but eventually it leads to burnout and lack of fulfillment. Then again, as enticing as it sounds to sit in meditation for years as a monk, abandoning Western culture altogether is not really an option for most of us. So where is the in-between? I like to think of it as a world where dreaming big and living slow coexist. I'm Tia, host of Dream Big Live Slow, a podcast for entrepreneurs like myself seeking a life of soul-filled work that still allows time for those slow moments that make us feel the most alive. Join me as we break down realistic mindfulness tools used by real entrepreneurs working towards a life of both dreaming big and living slow. Also, be sure to check out the end of every solo cast episode for free guided meditations. All right, let's do this thing. Hey, hello, everyone. Happy New Year. We are back with season two, and this is our first guest of season two. I am here with Caroline Dooner. She's an author, storyteller, overall, just hilarious human. (laughs) And she writes about her relationship with food and now with rest. Her first book, this little book called The Fuck It Diet, you've probably heard of it. And then she has her second book coming out, Tired as Fuck. I'm so excited to have you here to talk all things burnout, rest. This show is called Dream Big Live Slow. So it's very relevant to what all the stories we tell. So thank you for being here. Yes. Oh my God. Thank you so much for having me. And that's, I mean, usually I'm like, oh, I don't know about this podcast. Like I don't, you know, I don't like to overschedule myself, but when I saw the title, I was like, yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) Sounds right up my alley. So, Well, I'm honored and we're so excited to have you here. I can't wait to dive into all things hustle culture. That's like in our intro is just talking about how can we pursue a life that is soul fueling, soul fulfilling, while also living slow and not having to go at this rate this pace that everyone kind of it's the standard. So for anyone who doesn't know you, can you kind of just start by giving a little glimpse into your story of how you got started doing this work? Yes, absolutely. So I'll try to make it as succinct as possible, but I'm going to start back. It was actually crazy enough. 10 years ago tomorrow, 10 years ago tomorrow, tomorrow is my birthday. Tomorrow is my 34th birthday. It was my 24th birthday. And I'd been dieting for 10 years, really extreme obsession with weight loss and the way I looked and the purity of foods. I tried everything. I'd had every different kind of disordered eating that you could have. I was really obsessed with like the purity of food, which is what people call orthorexia. But I also was like really obsessed with calories at different points and carbs And I was obsessed and I felt like a food addict. And I had this epiphany and I've been trying to heal my relationship with food for a couple of years at that point, but it wasn't working. I felt like I couldn't be an intuitive eater because I was such a food addict and I couldn't stop binging and I couldn't control myself. And I had this one final binge on my birthday of all of these disgusting paleo muffins. I thought they were cupcakes, but they were like dry almond flour, sugarless muffins. <laughs> Delicious. And I ate 12, even though I they were disgusting. And I was like, oh my God, I've been doing this for 10 years and it's never going to end. It's never, ever, ever going to end unless I step out of the cycle. 
And I had what I refer to as an epiphany because it hit me in a new way that day. I had this understanding that dieting was a problem and that dieting and restricting food caused binging, but I couldn't figure out why I couldn't step out of the cycle. And it hit me in that moment that it was my relationship with my weight and my beliefs about weight and cultural beliefs about weight. I think I'd heard a podcast episode. I was following somebody who had ruined their hormones by going too low carb and by losing weight and was trying to heal by gaining weight. And that was the first time I'd ever heard anything like that. It was like opposite world. It was the opposite of what I believed. So that planted a seed. And I had this very, very strong feeling in that moment that I needed to completely let go of the relationship with weight that I had and my attempts to micromanage weight and be the tiny little pretty little thing that I was always trying to be. Right. And I just, there was just a part of me that knew that that was the only way to heal. And so I actually had no, like I had no science to support except for intuitive eating, which is absolutely, you know, was something that I'd already read, but I like couldn't figure it out. But I didn't really have the science that supported the fact that micromanaging our weight is one of the worst things we can do for our health and our relationship with food. I just knew it to be true at the time. And so I started trying to heal my relationship with food and weight. And I started researching and I found the science and all of that kind of organically became what is now the fuck it diet. I started writing about it. I was anonymous at the time. I was just trying to figure out what I was doing. It was like a creative healing project at the time. And I didn't know that it would become what it became. I'm so lucky. I'm so, so lucky that it did, but it grew, it resonated with people and it became the fuck it diet book. And in that process of healing my relationship with food and weight and health and worth and all of the tangled, messed up beliefs that I had, I really had to examine what I believed. I had to unlearn a lot of things and I had to do a lot of work on it. It took a lot of, Mm. you know, it took a lot of awareness. It took a lot of bravery. You know, anyone who's gone through this will understand that it's very counterculture. It's very, it's really difficult to like gain weight when you have been so obsessed with it and to have to deal with family and friends commenting on it and making you question whether this is the right thing to do or not. It's hard. It's really can be really, really hard, but it was the most liberating, amazing, life-affirming thing I've ever, ever done. It changed my life completely. Wow. And then a couple of years in, I realized that though I'd done all this work on my relationship with food and my relationship with weight, I hadn't, and I'd done all this unlearning, I hadn't done the work to unlearn all of the beliefs that I had about everything else. And that those specifically career, productivity, things that tie in with what we're going to talk about today, hustle culture, personal life. I had all of these beliefs that I had totally let go on examine and that were essentially causing me constant low-grade anxiety that I'd never fully identified. I understood that I was an anxious person, but I didn't understand that these beliefs about what I should be doing or shouldn't be doing were contributing, like contributing a lot to anxiety. And I talk about this in the book too. There's no part of me that's claiming that like, if you do what I did, you're going to heal your anxiety because I didn't heal my anxiety. But I 
let go of a lot of it. You know, there was this big, all these expectations that I had taken on and put on myself that I didn't realize that that I'd taken them on. And I didn't realize that I could let them go. And when I did, my life got a lot easier and a lot better, though it was a process. And I actually embarked on a very similar kind of extreme healing journey that I went through with the fuck it diet, where I decided I was going to quit some of my jobs. I was a freelancer at the time and I was an actor at the time as well. But I had a million other jobs that I was doing to try and stay alive in New York. I lived in New York at the time. I quit a lot of those. I moved to Philadelphia. I decided to go on what I called two years of rest. Oh, wow. Which was like a half joke at the time, but half very real. It was something that I was really trying to do. I wanted to take a very deliberate healing period where I deliberately said no to more things, deliberately was very, very aware of what was going on underneath every time I felt guilty or stressed. I just wanted to know, are there beliefs and expectations and shoulds that I'm operating under that I'm not aware of that are perpetuating this constant anxiety that I feel? And the answer was yes. (laughs) But I knew that it was going to take this very deliberate period of time to kind of work through that and understand that it wasn't like I was going to slap my fingers and be like, oh, great. I've let everything go. And I'm so relaxed now. Like that's not how it was. I knew that I had to actually work through the expectations that I'd taken on about what I was supposed to be doing and what my life should look like. You know, there was a lot of that. And I think that that's something that a lot of people can relate to, even if the specifics aren't the same as mine. A lot of us grow up with this idea of what we should be doing, what our life is supposed to look like, where we should be by certain ages in our life. A lot of it's completely subconscious. Yeah. A lot of it comes from our family, things we've taken on that we don't even realize, our culture, our religion, the school we went to. There's so much that we take on that we don't realize we're allowed to let go of. And that was what that healing journey of rest was supposed to be for me. Right. And that is essentially what turned into what is my second book coming out February 8th is Tired as Fuck. It's all the things that exhausted me and then what I I did about it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That brought up so many questions. Okay. I'm going to go back to when you said, you know, you're not giving a cure for anxiety, but what it sounds like is that you're like changing the relationship with anxiety and all of these feelings that come with our society of constantly feeling like we should be doing more, we're not doing enough, we are not enough, period. And so can you talk about a little bit about just what that looks like for you or what your experience has been with like, would you say that's kind of how it has been changing your relationship with those feelings? Yeah, yeah. So From my, like the way that I like to look at anxiety at this point with what I have experienced and what I've learned is that there are many different causes of anxiety. Some are genetic and chemical. Some are from trauma that we haven't processed. But the big one, basically there's anxiety that we can not do as much about. That's just sort of human and our I mean, some anxiety is completely normal and human, essentially. And it's not a problem at all. It's just being alive, you know, being alive with an amygdala and not being, and this is one of the things that I talk about and joke about in my book is that if you are not a psychopath, literally, 
with a different amygdala that does not feel fear or stress, you're going to feel anxiety, right? right. So some anxiety is perfectly normal. This is what I was forgetting to say. This is why my brain was dying. <laughs> there it is. And then there is the stuff that maybe will have us have more anxiety than other people. Genetics, chemical imbalances, trauma again. And then there are the things that we have subconsciously taken on these cultural things usually right that where we are sort of like trying to live a life that we're not supposed to live that really isn't to use this buzzword this like wellness buzzword aligned mm-hmm. with who we really are and we're totally unaware of it and it causes this anxiety that we can't really pinpoint and all of the drugs in the world are not going to heal that anxiety right So like you can try to address the chemical stuff and the genetic stuff and that's all good and fine. But if you're not aware of these things that you've taken on, these things that you're putting on yourself, these expectations that you have of yourself that are oftentimes impossible to live up to, you're going to have this anxiety that you don't need to have, you know? Right. And so I guess my point is like, we can deal with that, right? Mm-hmm. We can actually do something about that and we can improve our lives and take care of ourselves and let go of that piece of the puzzle that is adding to our anxiety. And like what I was saying before is there's no part of me that's like, and then you'll never feel stressed again because that's just not the way it goes to be a human. And there are plenty of reasons that we may experience anxiety, but that part is something that we can do something about. We can have more awareness about and improve. So That is what, and I, you know, I think maybe like I do this often enough. Whenever I embark on a new healing journey, I tend to think, oh my God, this, this is it. Yeah. Like this is going to be the thing that makes me happy and blissful and peaceful and calm and like content every single day of my life. Like I finally figured it out. And I think I probably did that with this. I probably was like, if I can just go on two years of rest and figure out every single thing that's stressing me out, I will be like this new person and I'll never feel stressed again. And so in retrospect, I'm telling you that's not going to happen. However, my life is significantly better and easier and calmer than it was before. And I do have less anxiety. Yes, absolutely. But For me specifically, one of the big expectations that I had taken on was with my career. And I, at the time, as I said, I was living in New York and I was a musical theater actress. (laughs) I had gone to NYU for musical theater. It had been something that I'd always been really good at and I'd always really loved, but always gave me absolutely debilitating anxiety. I despised auditions and that was my life. Like I had essentially, it was this odd thing because I loved it. I was very good at it. Everybody was like, oh my God, you're going to be on Broadway, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, great, this is awesome. Like This is what I want. This is the life I envisioned for myself. This is the life where I get a lot of praise. This is the life that everybody has told me you know, I'm going to be able to accomplish and that everybody expects me to be able to accomplish. And I was just locked into it. And I would hear of people who quit. Like I would hear of people who either dropped out of their, you know, musical theater program in college and decided it wasn't what they wanted and it was too much for them. And I'd be like, they can't hack it. I'm going to figure this out. 
or people who graduated with me who tried it for a year and then were like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Like, I'm going to go back to school or whatever. And I'd be like, I'm not going to let that happen to me. But at the same time, I was miserable. Like I was yeah, so miserable and I hated it. I don't hate the art form of it. I don't hate performing. I loved being in a show, but the day to day, like what it really means to be a working actress in New York City, I hated. Mm. <laughs> I hated everything about it. And I could not admit it to myself because I did not want to be one of those quitters and I did not want to be a failure in quotes. And I had this expectation that I had taken on both consciously and subconsciously where I was like, I cannot fail at this. And it took me a long time. (laughs) And, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing that I tried. I don't think it's a bad thing that I kept trying. It became the information that I needed to finally stop. Yeah. You know, like, and I, I needed that in order to be able to quit and stop and know that I tried and know that this was worth letting go, you know? Yeah. But that was one of the big things that kind of came to a head right as I was realizing that I needed to go on these two years of rest. And what I haven't actually even said yet is at that time when I needed two years of rest, it was because I was like deeply, deeply burnt out. I mean, I really like, I had chronic fatigue. I couldn't sleep. I was sleeping horribly. I was exhausted all day long. I didn't feel good physically, didn't feel good mentally. It was a mess. And I suspected that there were many things going on. One was true physical exhaustion, like actual physical exhaustion, not only from having many jobs and not sleeping well and like, you know, actually hustling, but more from the emotional toll, the guilt that I felt for 15 years at that point. Like ever since I was a teenager, it was this like guilt and stress and, oh, I should be doing this and I should be doing that and I hate this and I don't want to do this, but I have to do it. Like it hit me that that really can take a toll on you physically. Yeah. (laughs) And that that emotional stress was taking a toll on me physically, even though I had never even identified that it existed until right about then. Yeah. Yeah. I think so many others will see connections to their own story because I definitely saw so many of mine where, you know, I started in TV news as well. It was similar to your story where it was very much like driven by wanting recognition and like, you know, motives that are not aligned. Right. Right. In any way to what I truly want. And I started in TV news and then I pursued entrepreneurship this area of work that I am so passionate about and went balls to the wall and then just burn out and crash so hard. And there are a lot of parallels there to your story. And I think that that's where this dream big, live slow work came into my life was just wanting to look into how do we kind of recover from that burnout period. That's pretty much, I feel like all of us, when we're pursuing work that we're passionate about, undoubtedly experience it and have to kind of recover from it? And how do we change things from that point on? So for you, after you kind of burn out and hit it so hard and you did this rest, you focused on rest, Mm -hmm. what did that actually look like? I mean, what does that mean? That's a great question. (laughs) Such a good question because, you know, I, I often 
get asked, well, what do you do if you can't actually, you know, if you can't afford to like quit your job and do nothing for two years? Right. And- Ideally, we would all marry rich and not have to do anything. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, the misconception is that I didn't do anything for two years. I was absolutely doing things for two years. I was doing a lot. I wrote the fuck it diet during that. And I was still working. I still had to make money. I just had to shift everything and reprioritize and make a lot of space and say no to the things that I was able to afford to say no to essentially. But so at that point I had been, let me think, this was 2016. So I had been writing the fuck it diet blog and running this very small business where I did workshops and I taught myself all this backend stuff. And I was my own assistant and I was like running the back of the website and rigging weird things before I paid for a better, you know, backend email capture system. And I was, you know, answering emails at 1145 at night. And, and it was exciting. Like, again, I would never say don't do that. You know, I learned so much. It is the reason that I get to do what I'm doing today. It taught me so much about running a business and also about burnout. Like if I hadn't burnt out, I wouldn't right. <laughs> I wouldn't have this perspective that I have now and who knows what I'd be doing or thinking. But it was amazing. It led to great things. You know, it taught me a lot, but it was not sustainable. There were also a lot of parts of running the business. And while I was doing that, I was also trying to be an actor and I was trying to like in New York, I was babysitting for a while, but then I started actually coaching kids on auditioning. And like I had all of these different little businesses that I was trying to keep afloat because first of all, I wanted to, I wanted to see what was going to take off, but I also needed to, I needed to make money and I was only making a little bit from all these different places. So when I realized I was super burnt out, the first thing I knew that I needed to do was I couldn't afford to rest and do less in New York. I couldn't. So I knew I had a lot of friends and family in Philadelphia. It's two hours south of New York. It's where I'm from. And I knew that it was a cheaper city. I could live a slower life. I could kind of do what I was hoping that I could do if I moved. So that was one of the first big things I did. I decided to quit acting, specifically seeking acting. I decided to stop auditioning. And as soon as I did that, because literally, literally (laughs) in New York, when you wake up and you're an actor, there are like five equity, which is the union, five equity or Broadway auditions per day. Oh, And some people go to all of them. Oh my. Some people bring their big bag with all their tap shoes and their huge binder of music and they just take the subway down and they just stay, they just walk between the buildings in Midtown and just go to all these auditions. And that was like, it took me like all the energy in the world to just be like, okay, I'm going to go to this one, this one, and I'm going to wear, this is what I'm going to wear. And I'm going to sing this song, I'm going to sing this part. Look, uh, like it took me so much energy to just go to one. And I hated it. I hated it so much. And when I wouldn't go to one, I would feel guilt all day of like, Oh my God, I'm never going to, you know, it's just like, I it was a squeeze that like took me so long to identify what the hell was going on. And like the fact that this is not getting better, Caroline, like you thought that maybe when you like, you know, back when I was dieting, it was, Oh, 
when I lose weight and become perfect and beautiful, then I'll love auditions because I won't care. I'll walk in and I'll be so pretty. And so I won't be nervous. And so I won't do a bad job. It was just like this fantasy of like what it's going to be like. And then I let that go. I still hated auditions. I like forced myself to go for a long time. Anyway, helped me to learn that just wasn't going to work out. So when I finally cleared that off of my life to-do list, essentially, yeah, it is very hard to explain the kind of relief that I felt when I actually gave myself permission to not be an actor anymore, to completely let go of that dream, to, you know, become aware of and begin to work through the fears that I had around what people would think of me and what it meant about me. You know, I talked earlier about like all of this judgment over other people who had done what I was now doing, obviously had a lot more empathy and compassion for all of the people (laughs) who I'd like judged so much, but I felt such a marked sense of relief. Like it was like night and day, the fact that I would wake up and be like, I don't have to go to an audition ever again. (laughs) And so I don't feel guilty that I'm not going to an audition. Like it was just like this level of guilt and stress that I'd felt for 15 years. Cause I'd been, you know, trying to do this for such a long time. It was just gone. Wow. And well, that's a very clear example of this anxiety that I had taken on and put on myself that I didn't even understand where it was coming from for the longest time that I was able to get rid of. I mean, it was gone and it's still gone. Wow. And again, like plenty of things that I get stressed about, but like that low level anxiety that never went away is gone now. And that was from getting honest with myself and realizing that I was trying to force myself to live a life for glory, you know, (laughs) that made me so miserable. So, so miserable. So that was like a huge, huge piece of my own rest. And that was like a pretty dramatic shift for me. But I do believe that everyone who's listening to this probably has something small that's like that, that they can let go of to feel more relief. It might not be as dramatic as the relief I felt, but I think we all carry little things like that from expectations we've taken on that we may not even be aware of until we hear someone talk about it or ask ourselves the question of like, is the way I'm living and like the expectations that I've put on what I'm supposed to be doing right now working for me? Like, is it working for me? Maybe it was working for me two years ago, but is it still working for me? Yeah. Revisiting that. And it sounds like just the simple permission to just let go of something that feels trusting your intuition. I feel like, yes, it sounds so corny, but but it's true. We all have this gut feeling telling us that something isn't right, and but we just ignore it constantly. So right. it sounds like, you know, finally just listening to that intuition and acting on it is so, yeah. so freeing. I have noticed that in I'm a videographer and with certain clients where it doesn't feel right and everyone tells you, you know, like, say no to the wrong people the wrong clients, the wrong projects, whatever it is. But actually doing that, the feeling that it gives you when you actually listen to your intuition, it's like yes, you start doing it more and you start doing it more and it's a practice and yes, and you get good at it. And yeah. And then in the beginning, like it's harder to know who your ideal clients are and who you should be saying no to. So in the beginning, it makes sense that it's going to be harder. We're going to expend more energy. 
we're in like the learning process of figuring out what we need and how we work. I mean, just like I was saying with those first couple of years of running an online business and learning how to run an online business, it was absolutely exhausting, but it had to be that way for that time. I had to learn. I had to learn what I didn't like doing, what I didn't know how to do, what I didn't need to do anymore. I had to learn how easy it is to burn yourself out when you are, could potentially be working all of the time, you know, and you don't have those boundaries and you don't have that off switch. There's so much that I had to learn before I was even able to make any of those changes in the first place. So for anyone listening, it's okay if you're in the learning period. I really think that the way to look at it, to not get like perfectionistic about rest and saying no, is that it's just a matter of checking in every now and again and asking yourself, is this working for me anymore? Like, what would give me relief? Maybe it is working for you. Maybe you figured out something that's really good for the next couple months, couple years, and you'll keep checking in. Maybe, you know, it's time to let something go or get help or just reassess. And I think that that's like the most sane and helpful way to kind of approach this. Mm, that is so good to periodically revisit it and reevaluate because sometimes we think that what worked for us should continue to work for us at one point, should continue working for us. And that's powerful. Okay. So I want to talk about the process of writing a book because from what I'm hearing, which I feel like most people wouldn't say this, writing a book for you is actually like a break, a rest, a slowness. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? As opposed to, you know, going to auditions. Yeah. So I'm curious what that process was like for you. And did you feel that slowness? Did you feel like it was like soul fueling, I guess? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so this is such a good question and actually brings up something that I didn't even mention, which was such a big part of my own journey and my own healing journey and my own creativity journey. Have you ever heard of the book, The Artist's Way? Yeah. By any chance? Yeah. Okay. So that book, seriously, seriously, completely <laughs> changed my life. And it really, really did. It changed my life. It changed my perspective on so much, especially obviously creativity. And anyone who's listening, who's like, I'm not an artist, I'm not a creative person. I genuinely believe that anyone can benefit from it. And she's very clear in the book that it's not just for creatives. I mean, you know, even like I would have thought like, well, I'm not a painter. Like it's not for, you know, it's not for whatever you imagine an artist with a paintbrush to be. It's for any creatives, but also any person who wants to use creativity as a healing force. And I really genuinely believe that it is. So this book I read while I was just starting to heal my relationship with food completely coincidentally. And it's because I told my mom, okay, so I've quit acting a couple times <laughs> in my life. So when I was healing, my relationship with food was the first time because it was very clear to me that I wasn't able to keep going into auditions for Cinderella and let myself gain weight and like actually let that full healing process happen without major stress. So I was like, I'm going to quit or take a break. Clearly it was just taking a break at the time. And I'm going to get a regular job. And I did. I got an office job for a year. And then I quit that. I went back to acting for a couple of years. But I was living at home with my parents for a couple months 
first couple months into trying to heal my relationship with food because I had already booked an acting job in Philadelphia. And again, I genuinely, genuinely, genuinely love performing. And so even though I was quitting auditioning, I was like, I think I really want to do this play and then I will get a regular job. So it was this weird limbo period where I was like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm miserable and I'm trying to heal such big things and I don't know what I'm doing. And I was very, like, it was a really, really rough time. It was really a rough time. I had this like intuitive sense that I was going to continue to pursue healing my relationship with food and weight, but it was just the beginning. So it was really scary and I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know what job I was going to have. And, you know, it was just a mess. So I was living at home and my mom was in this book club where they were reading The Artist's Way. And she said, Caroline, I know why I'm reading this book. It is for you and you should read this book. And I was like, (laughs) I don't want to be an artist. Like, I'm not an artist. I don't even want to do this. Like, I'm not even creative. Like, I I don't I always thought that I never thought that singing and acting was creative, which is so bizarre. But like, I was like, no, I just like read the words and I'm good at taking direction. Like I didn't know what I was thinking, but I just was like, oh, I don't want to, like, I just really don't want to. And by the way, I talk about, like, I talk about this entire journey from like childhood through the fuck it diet, through the two years of rest in tired as fuck. That's like essentially what the book is about. But I tell this story about the artist's way in the book too. But I was super resistant and I really, I just didn't want to read it, but she was like, she really wanted me to read it. So I started and it was all about like, even just in the first chapter of the book, it was all about how creativity is a spiritual energy and it is healing. And when we are perfectionistic about the things we are creating, we halt it. We stop the creative energy and we stop the healing energy and and that's not, you know, that's not a helpful way to create. It's more helpful and joyful and life affirming to create for the sake of it and to not be attached to the outcome. Ooh. And to me, I know, <laughs> I know. And to me, it was like, oh my God, this is like exactly what I need to hear. It was, first of all, I was quitting acting and I was sad about it. And I was like, this is exactly the problem with the way that I was approaching acting and singing. I was such a perfectionist about my singing, about the way I looked, about everything. So perfectionistic that I was debilitated with anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so that was the first thing that, you know, that felt very relevant to me. But then the other thing is that it was also running parallel to healing my relationship with food and weight. It was about letting go of perfectionism and trusting the process and enjoying your life and focusing on doing things that are fun, like for the sake of feeding your soul to help you be more creative and embodied and all of these things that I was like, wow, this is amazing. And that is the reason that I started the Fuck It Diet blog. Really? Because I had this new perspective that writing just for the sake of writing was going to be healing, even if it didn't lead to anything at all. So the title makes so much sense now too. <laughs> like just totally letting go of yes, perfection. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And <laughs> one of the exercises in the artist's way is the stream of consciousness writing every morning. You're supposed to do it. And the fuck it diet title came out in it. Cause I was like, fuck it. Like I'm still thinking so much about it. Like I just need to fuck it. I just need to be on the fuck it diet. And I was like, Ooh, that's good. 
And immediately I bought the domain and I started writing and I was essentially document. So that was May. So I had my epiphany, January 5th, 2012. And right. Yeah. 2012. And then I did that show for a couple months. And then I had the artist way and was doing all those exercises in May. So that's when I started. If you go back like on my website, you'll see like May 12th, 2012 is the first post. And so I'm sure there was a point where I was, oh, oh, writing a book. Okay. So I had this perspective on creativity that had was essentially the reason that I was doing any of the things that I was doing. It was the reason that I actually got the, I didn't have a book deal when I started writing, but I did have an agent that came in this really kind of crazy, (laughs) crazy magical way. And I should tell you, because I've been talking about the artist's way, but I got an email maybe 2015 out of the blue from someone who said, hi, Caroline, you know, my name is Emma. I am Julia Cameron. She wrote the artist way, Julia Cameron. I'm Julia Cameron's business manager. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? And she, <laughs> Dude, I'm obsessed yeah. with Julia Cameron. <laughs> and she said, I just read your entire website because I Googled why doesn't intuitive eating work? And it really, really, really helped my relationship with food, your site. And I really love your writing. And I want to introduce you to my friend who is Julia Cameron's agent. And she's not taking on new clients, but maybe she can give you some advice on writing a book because I really think that you should write a book. What? And I was like, what the fuck? Like, this is crazy. Like, this is the most synchronistic thing I've ever. And I literally was like, wait, do you like. No, did you find me? Because I talk about Julia Cameron all of the time. I had just started a podcast at the time and every single episode, I'd been like, the artist's way, the artist's way, the artist's way. So I was like, wait, is this because I talk about the artist's way all the time? And she was like, no, I didn't even know that you'd read the artist's way. Oh, that's some freaky divine shit. So it was this bizarre, it was so, so magical. It really, really was. And then I had a lunch with this agent who was not taking on new clients. And because she was not taking on new clients, I didn't feel like I was in an audition because if I had, I would have totally croaked. I was just kind of explaining, like, I thought I was getting advice from her. So I was like, well, you know, this is what I believe. And this is what I learned. And this was the process and blah, 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 blah. And by the end of the lunch, she said, well, I would really love to represent this book if you'll have me. And I was like, what? If you'll have me. (laughs) Yes. So I started writing the book knowing that I had an agent and like I knew generally, cause I'd been essentially teaching what I was learning for the past four or five years at that point. So it wasn't like, I didn't know what I was going to write about. I just didn't know what order it was going to come in. I didn't know the format. I didn't know what I was going to include and what I was not going to include, but I had a general sense of what it would be. And I knew from the artist's way that I didn't need to know. I didn't. I was allowed to just start. I was allowed to make a general outline, start writing, and that I could trust that I would figure it out as I went. And I did. And I have to say, the process of trusting and just writing, and I really love writing. I think writing is just 
so joyful, even if you're frustrated, even if you don't know what you're going to write, because for some reason now, thanks to the artist way, I trust that it's okay, like that it's just okay. And it doesn't have to be good. If your writing isn't good that day, it's okay, you're going to try again tomorrow. If you can't figure it out today, it's okay, you're going to figure it out tomorrow. And the fun and the satisfaction that came from actually like having little epiphanies while I wrote being like, Oh, this should actually come after that. And like, and I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't trust that it was okay to just write without knowing what it was going to be and, and to have it all figured out. So that start before you're ready advice that everyone gives start before you're ready, start before you're ready. I mean, like, I believe it so much because again, we stop ourselves. We stop ourselves thinking, well, I have to figure it all out before I even start. And I don't, that's never worked for me. It's always been, okay, if you have the, like, it, the impulse, just start and trust that you do not need to have it all figured out, that you are allowed to figure it out as you go. And that may even be the best way to figure it out. I honestly feel like it's the only way, really. Yeah. I mean, from my experience, sure. that's amazing. That's just beautiful. I mean, I guess like, you know, engineers need to figure it all out before they start. But even that process, like I'm sure the actual figuring out process, you just have to start and then figure it out, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's beautiful. That is so aligned with everything that I've seen through my experience. I actually started a podcast before this one. It was called Creative Souls and it was literally about creating from the soul. Oh my God. <laughs> and just like <laughs> removing your ego from the creative process. And I think that's so much to do with all of us entrepreneurs, all of us pursuing work that is truly aligned with our souls is just, you know, getting used to that removal of ego. And that makes me, I'm like so curious. So when you're marketing a book, something we talk about sometimes on this podcast is like mindful marketing. So how do you even, I mean, when you're going out and trying to, you do, you've done the creating, right? Like that is the soul work, right? How do you you try to make the marketing thing? It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question actually, because I don't always consciously think about it, but I think I, subconsciously think about it or intuitively try to feel out what feels not gross. You know, I do promote the book a lot on my Instagram because I kind of feel like that's one of the main reasons that I'm on or that I forced myself to be on Instagram in the first place. But I can kind of feel, well, I just, I want it to be honest. I just want it to be honest. And I feel like if I can just be honest about what the book is and what it addresses and who it's for. And, you know, luckily, luckily, I really feel like, and you know what, when I was writing the fuck it diet, I just remember this. I actually forgot this. When I was writing the fuck it diet, I was really into like writing out intentions a lot. Like I was into a bullet journal and I would, you know, I'd write my list of to do's and then I would write my list of kind of like big intentions every month. And I kept writing over and over again. I really, really, really want to write a book. This is while I was writing the fuck day. I really want to write a book that I can fully stand by, that I feel really good about. Because I'd actually had a lot of projects in the past. I'd made a lot of little courses and a lot of workshops and, you know, different email series and things that I'd created in the past 
that I'd very quickly, and I think this is fine too. I think this is totally fine. This was all part of the learning process, but that I'd very quickly been like, eh, I don't really like that one anymore. Yeah. I think that you can see that in everything that you do with these books. I'm so excited to actually, you know, for everyone to get their hands on Tired as Fuck. Friends, I come to you with sad news that somehow during this interview, one of us lost internet connection and we lost the last 10 minutes of this episode. But do not fret because I have a great memory. And I was listening very, very closely to everything Caroline was saying because she's just incredible. So I can give you probably an eloquent summary, but a summary nonetheless. So when I ask about mindful marketing, Caroline was really emphasizing that she just stands by these books so much and she believes in them so much that it's like not a problem for her. to be able to share the word about them because she believes in them so much. And she was saying that when you're just so confident in what you're putting out there and the work and the good that it's doing, it really does make it easier to market authentically. And we pretty much stayed on the topic of her books from there, mostly talking about how you guys can find her at The Fuck It Diet on Instagram but also how you can pre-order her book mostly because pre-orders, she explained how they are so important to authors. Pre-orders are huge for them because all of those pre-orders count as the first week of sales for book sales. So when the book, you know, is officially for sale, February 8th, I believe, that means that they have a better chance of getting on bestseller lists, which Caroline just expressed how much gratitude and how much that would help her because she said, quote, I've sold a lot of books, but I'm no Glennon Doyle. (laughs) So supporting her by finding her book, Tired as Fuck, pre-order it, and also check out the Fuck It Diet book because so much insight and wisdom from Caroline, as you can hear on this podcast and Pretty much that was what we ended the show with and just ways that you guys can work with her. So please be sure to find her, connect with her, check out her book because it's so aligned with the mission of this podcast in ways and mindset shifts to combat hustle culture and alleviate burnout, which is what we all could use more of. Okay, thank you guys so much for listening. How cool was Caroline? Go check out our book. Sorry, we lost the last 10 minutes. We are professionals over here, I promise. Okay, all my love and just adore you all so much. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, if these stories, if these tools, if these meditations are doing something for you. If you are enjoying them, they're resonating and they are bringing you peace. Please help spread the word. Send it to a friend that you think might like it or share us on social media at Dream Big Live Slow or at Tila Ray or hop in my DMs. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you'd like to hear more of. But just from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for listening and for being here and for doing this work alongside me. I 
I'd love your help in reaching more humans like us who are working to both dream big and live slow. So thank you in advance. Love you very much. All of my love to you. Have the best day. Mwah.